special presentation of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, featuring uh, in this particular instance the great debate over the amazing Spider-Man 2. I am your host and moderator, Ben Stein's head. No, sorry. I am the authority on evil, Mr. Robert Winfrey. Thank you all for joining us. And it uh, should be a fun one. We have had a few of these one-ofs the last couple of weeks here on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. Last week we had Mark and his uh, lovely wife, Melissa, who were defending the Big Bang Theory. They failed miserably, but I hate sitcoms, so that's just where I stand on everything as far as that goes. But our big uh, presentation tonight, we are hosting the debate between uh, Mark Radlich and Pat Mullen, who I'm going to properly introduce in just a moment or two. And they're talking about uh, a pretty divisive film, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which came out a few weeks ago and is... uh, Some people loved it. It's made a fair amount of money at the box office if you hold financials to be the end-all be-all. But, uh, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't. You know, it's the internet. People hate things just irrationally. But we're here and we're going to see if there's any rationality behind tonight's hatred. So, without further ado, first, fighting out of the red corner. He stands five foot eight. Uh, our scales could not properly be calibrated before the event, so we're all just assuming we're within five pounds of each other here. He fights out of uh, America's Wang, somewhere in Tampa Bay, Florida. He is Mark, the one-man mitzvah Radulich. How you doing, Mark? How do you do, Robert? I am ready to get it on because I am the king of Sting. The <laughs> I don't remember any of the other ones, but I am here. I want Balboa. I want Balboa. All right. And fighting out of the blue corner, he comes to us tonight from the armpit of America, somewhere in the cesspool that is New Jersey, where he lives in exile because New York no longer wants him. He also stands five foot eight and is within five pounds of Mr. Radlich. He is Pat, everyone sucks but me, Mullen. How you doing, Pat? Robert, I am fantastic because the fight for justice against corruption is never easy. It never has been and never will be. It exacts a toll on ourselves, our families, our friends, and especially our children. And in the end, I believe, as in my case, the price we pay is well worth holding on to our dignity. So how's your uh, personal project of cleaning up New Jersey going? Have you heard anything in the news? Well, yes. Quite frankly, I have. Take that for what it's worth. I want to say right now, I object to how this whole podcast is starting off right off the bat. Um, essentially, we have somebody fighting from the armpit against somebody from the crotch. I just yes. the armpit versus the crotch. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with these terms. I don't like it. Um, I, I, I don't. First of all, I don't feel. I don't even feel like that introduction uh, was really for me because I am a man who comes from the land of strippers and palmetto bugs. Okay, Tampa Bay. Mark Radelich, 
And I ended the Undertaker. Sorry, I got a little confused. Go ahead. No, you know you did. Then don't 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 do Paul Heyman around here. It's a bad idea. <laughs> All, right, All right, Robert. Let's go ahead. And your deal. Hit it. Yes, it is. And you're interrupting me. I will mute you, sir. Don't tempt me. <laughs> All right. However, since you have first point, being the one in charge of, yeah, you're you're pro. You liked the movie, so. Let's start off with the basics. You saw the movie before any of us, so what about it did you like? You went on and you said this is the best comic book movie ever, Sans maybe one or two, so let's get your point out there. Give me two points that you think really got this movie over that you really enjoyed about it. All right. Well, in all seriousness, what I said was this was the best Spider-Man movie to date. I thought it was better than Spider-Man 2, and here's why. My exact words were, this was the Spider-Man movie we've all been waiting for, in that I felt like Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man, body and soul, was what I remember reading in the comic books. And as you've gone and done, everyone loves a bad guy and talked about all these different comic book ones. One one of the ones that I remember and read the most of when I was a kid was Spider-Man. And I remember him being flippant. I remember him being sarcastic. Uh, I also remember there being a lot of tragedy in Spider-Man's life and him, you know, and so the comic book writers, and there were many, uh, managed to balance the tragedy with the comedy in that book pretty well. One of the, again, one of the great things about him was he wasn't just a guy with powers. He was a guy trying to live his life. He was a you know, teenager and then a young man um, trying to live his life in New York City with all the trials and tribulations, and then thrown in was this bit about Spider-Man and all these homicidal maniacs uh, wanting to rob banks or kill him, not necessarily in that order. And I felt like this movie captured the spirit of that for the first time. Not that the Sam Raimi uh, second movie with Dr. Octopus was bad or anything, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the same Raimi trilogy... (sighs) did a decent job of portraying Spider-Man and all of his villains on screen. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm talking collectively, not individually, you know, movie to movie, because we all know the third one has problems. But they were also, I also thought it was very Sam Raimi. It was sort of his take on Spider-Man, whereas the Amazing Spider-Man series so far seems to be, in my opinion, pulled directly out of the comic book, with the exception of the fact that they threw in this bit about his parents, and they lean a little too heavily on it, from, from my opinion. But it differentiates it from what we, what the three movies we saw before this. So uh, I'll take it. Two points to sum up. I feel like they, I feel like they finally got Peter Parker right, especially young Peter Parker. Number one. Number two. I thought that this movie did the best job I've seen of, again, balancing all of the elements that I enjoyed of the comic book. All right. That's good. Uh, two good points, and a lot of people have agreed with you. Um, in fact, a lot of the people that I know who have seen it prefer Andrew Garfield to Tobey Maguire as far as Peter Parker goes. Uh, Pat, I want your perspective on this, because I know you, and we kind of laughed on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show a couple of weeks ago when... Uh, Jeff's summation of this version of Peter Parker was, I wish they hadn't ripped off Edward Cullen. <laughs> I heard that, and I, and I was very upset. <laughs> so, and 
you mentioned on Facebook that you agreed with you kind of agreed with that perspective. So I'm imagining that if you're going to rebut Mark's point about them getting Peter Parker right, you're going to start there. So Pat, do you agree with him on that point? And if you differ, how? I'll say this for Andrew Garfield. Do I think he's a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire? Absolutely. He looks more the part. He, he plays the role better, and, and maybe he gets a little bit of an advantage in that these, these portrayals of Peter Parker have been slightly better written. He has not jazz danced yet, so that's a plus. Yeah. They, they've allowed him to be a little come, bit more wit. We know there's going to be a jazz dancing scene in The Amazing Spider-Man 3. Oh. I'm sure there will be. says the man who defended the jazz dance. But that being said, <laughs> he's, he's a little bit more witty and sardonic at times. But those times are few and far between. I can recall half this movie seeing him as this weepy, annoying little bastard who I just wanted to throttle and say, shut up, you're Spider-Man. The thing about Spider-Man in the comics that I remember is he, he arguably has had more tragedy thrown his way than any other lead character, probably with the exception of Daredevil in the comic book medium. But those moments motivated him to be... tragic life. It started that way. It didn't continue that way. But, right. it, you know, much like Batman in a sense, those moments are what have helped shape and define him into becoming this great hero and manning up and not letting tears flow freely and abandoning everything, but stepping up to the plate and coming back and fighting back and really motivating himself to, to relate to people because Spider-Man has always been that everyman character who people have kind of gravitated to because he's much more human than your Superman and even in many instances your Batman because they, Marvel has done always a marvelous job of grounding their characters more in reality to kind of draw the, the reader in as opposed to making them so supernatural and fanatical that it, it's, you know, kind of beyond the depths of human understanding and they're kind of one-dimensional. But they took that away. And I didn't get the, the, the motivated, great Peter Parker, even in those moments when you're supposed to think he's that. I got a weepy guy who's pushed into situations because he has to be, not because he wants to be. And that just annoyed me so much along with the constant tears and I'll get to the, the, the bigger strike later on, but that was really all right off the bat. What, what I came away from this film. Why, why are you still crying? Stop it. See, see I don't think that's fair. And, and, and I think that's an unjust attack on the movie and, uh, and, uh, you know, yeah. far be it for me to tell people how to feel about anything. But I do feel like Pat's being unnecessarily unfair to this movie, and here's why. And I want to, and I want to put two quick points out there, Robert, before, uh, before you jump in. Now, number right. one, I have said this a thousand and one times, and I will say it a million more. Movies are not comic books, and comic books are not movies. They are two different mediums. They are handled differently, even if you're extrapolating comic books and making it into extrapolating from comic books and making them into movies. The thing about comic books is you could afford to stretch things out forever because the idea was to sell books for as long as you could sell books to children and, and adults. With movies, you are working against you, you are working with a gun to your head against a time clock. You have 
X amount of movies you can do with the actors involved before the actors all move on to something else or die or whatever. So you have to squeeze in what ends up being decades worth of canon into a couple of hours worth of movie, which means things are done faster. They're, um, they're encapsulated differently. It's, I get the frustration a lot of people have, but ultimately, if you want to see things like the, you know, the breadth of the relationship between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, you're not going to get the amount of time it took you know, to get from point A to point B where she is thrown out a window or, whatever, or off a bridge, whatever it is, uh, that you got in the comic book. You've only got so much time. You've got to get to the end of this one movie and to the next one, which may be the end of it. So I think – so for me – I think that they handled all of those things as well as any movie could have. Nothing, you know, this is the Lord of the Rings argument. Where was Tom Bombadil, right? Where, you know, why, why are we giving lines from this character to the end? That sort of thing. You've only got so much screen time and you've got to get the movie done. So that's number one. Number two, um, my, my biggest problem with the Sam Raimi films was I felt like it revolved too much around Mary Jane Watson. Um, you know, the first line of the first movie is, here's a story about a girl. And right then and there, or something along, it was something close to that. It was, you know, this all started because of a girl. And I wanted to leave the theater almost immediately. And this movie does a great job of saying, hey, Gwen Stacy is an important part of Peter Parker's life, but she's not the end-all, be-all. So I go back to, my, to what I said to Pat about, I don't think he's being fair. I think they threw a lot of things at Peter Parker, um, Peter Parker's character in this movie. One of those things was Gwen Stacy, and I thought he reacted appropriately. The stuff about his parents, I, and, and I think this may be where, where Pat's coming from, and, and again, I don't want to speak for him, so if I'm wrong, Pat, you know, tell me I'm wrong. But I feel like the plot line involving Peter's parents gets thrown in on top of the plot line involving him and Gwen Stacy and the guilt and, you know, Dennis Leary dying in the last movie. And it becomes, you know, and so, yes, he spends a lot of time um, thinking and, and moping and trying to uh, deal with the conflicts that he's having on, with, with both of those issues, you know, in and around also then, ha- you know, then guilt about not hel- helping Harry. And so there's a lot of guilt in this movie. But it, and maybe that's why Pat's saying, my God, he spent half of it weeping. But I thought that if you're going to continue to throw hurdle after hurdle at him and all of these conflicts, he's a, he's a young human being, I think, reacting appropriately. But one thing I don't like about movies, whether they be comic book kind or otherwise, is that when your uh, protagonist isn't reacting appropriately to the things you're throwing in front of him. So... Um, was he weepier than maybe you know we would expect? Maybe, but for the window that is a movie and for the kinds of things that they were throwing at him, I thought it was appropriate. I thought, I, I thought you know the, the guilt over Harry, Gwen Stacy, and his parents, and the confusion revolving involving his parents. He reacted appropriately to all those things, and unfortunately, that's half your movie. So your contention here is. The writers took all the saddest moments from Spider-Man's history, put it on a movie, and that is their excuse to have him mope for at least least half of it. And that is the appropriate reaction for his character. It's just they chose to make 
everything mopey about him be on screen? I think that Spider-Man fighting monsters for two hours would have gotten redundant. This is, you know, ultimately, you should make movies about human beings that make you feel something, even if they're from a comic book. And I think that's what they were attempting to do, yes. Okay. Pat, uh, kind of your last word on this. With Mark's point that they have now put, you know, that they've put all of these things that require an emotional response from him in there. Do you think that then, you know, this falls on the writing and direction where, you know, okay, we get that we've, you don't need four different storylines or points of contention that result in Spider-Man crying like a little girl. So who's, is that is that on the writing and direction, or is that on you know kind of the actor? It's definitely on the writing and the direction. Uh, you know, to Andrew Garfield's credit, he's not you know he's not Al Pacino or Robert De Niro who can go in and say anything they want and still have the movie made because he's not that brand of star yet. And for for him, and you know, I hope he does at some point because I do think he's a very good actor. But I, I think the problem here is that. We tried to jam so much into this movie, and you can talk about working against time and the clock and what you have to work with. The movie itself ran over two hours. It was, you know, it's, it's about two and a half hours, give or take a few minutes. That's a pretty generous amount of runtime for a film. And the fact that they still found a way to pack too much into it, and as a result, destroy kind of any semblance of a coherent plot, doesn't speak well to me of the film. I, I had a. I, I, there's so much going on in this movie at various angles that you're not really sure what you should be paying the most attention to. I think the the parental storyline is is kind of a almost a plot red herring in many ways, such as when he's you know say you know coming trying to come to terms with why his parents left him. Well, you know they left you when you were six and you're you know you're an adult now. You've had years and years to mull over this, and the whole time you've had parents. They're called your Aunt May and Uncle Ben, which they address in the movie, but it feels very forced and out of nowhere, and it's kind of an excuse just to see him weeping again, which, again, is part of my issue. And I feel like there's so much going on in this that they never coherently flesh the majority of it out, and as a result, I can't tell you a succinct plot line to this movie. Now, I think you the could, major plot line focuses on Harry, doesn't it? I think everything else... And, and look, I know in a debate you're not supposed to credit your opponent with a good point, but I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway because I like it, that. It, in, it indebts you to the people who are scoring it. If you don't just scream over their point, if it's valid, you can acknowledge that they made a valid point. You just happen to have I a counter-argument. The valid criticism and the only valid criticism of this movie that I feel uh, is worth uh, mentioning is that yes, it was an overstuffed plot. Um, you know, it reminds me of a, of a screenwriting class I took where we had a raucous argument over what was the plot of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> um, and I will tell you that I think the major plot of this thing is him and Harry, and everything else is just sort of piled in on top of that. And if you and if you want my honest opinion, Pat, I would tell you that if I had written this thing, I would have I, I, one of those things had to go. You know, you either had to get rid of the Gwen Stacy storyline to a degree and not kill her off in this movie, wait till the next movie to do that, or not do the stuff with the parents anymore or wait, resolve that very quickly. Ah, you jerk. <laughs> You're supposed to warn me before. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't seen it. I don't care. I know what happens. I'm sorry. I read the roof. Spoiler alert. Gwen Stacy died. There we go. Um, 
Sorry, everyone. Um, my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I'm sure. But you know, you know what I'm saying. I, I, I look. The, was this an overstuffed plot? Was there more things going on in this movie than uh, than really necessary? Sure. But I would tell you that we're all, you know, we're all bright people. I think we can follow a complex plot or or, or, a, or a complex uh, series of plots and still be entertained. Um, I'll say it's I'll say it's a valid criticism, though not one that has not one that forces me to not to not enjoy the movie. Um, I. I understand Pat's point about like what am I supposed to be paying attention to here? Because I because I know I found myself at times, like especially the stuff with the parents going, I'm not interested in this. Go to something else. But that was the only time I felt that way. Anything else, you know, anything involving Harry, anything involving Electro, anything involving Gwen Stacy, I, I, they had my attention. I was I, my attention was wrapped. So I, I feel like it's a quibble to to say, ugh, and then the parents. All right. Oh, okay, and that's where you... So, you guys just met, You just mentioned, Mark, that you feel kind of the central story involves the relationship between Peter and Harry and all of that fun stuff that that comes along with it. So, Pat, I gotta be honest, I saw the guy they have playing Harry Osborne, and I just mentally clicked off. I haven't seen... Again, I have not seen the movie yet, people, so my per- this is, that's why I'm moderating. I don't actually have an opinion, because I don't care. But <laughs> Can I just, just say he does, look a little, he, does, he does look a little low-rent Leonardo DiCaprio? I was going to say, did you, ever see the, did you ever see the episode of The Simpsons where you find out that Bart had a, a, an evil twin who was you know, retarded and they kept him locked in the attic upstairs? <laughs> that's what he is to Leo. <laughs> oh, what was that guy's name? It doesn't matter. <laughs> when I when I realized that that was the guy playing Harry Osborn, I'm like, wait, why do they have a 12 year old as Harry Osborn? What's going on here? That's like growing pains, Leo. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> we couldn't even well, get to uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape, Leo. We had to go all the way back to growing pains. Well, what kills me is they they you know, if you look at the Sam Raimi trilogy, you know, you had you know James Franco as as, as the uh, the new Green Goblin. And at least Speaking he looks like crying. <laughs> yeah, well, at, at oh, he'll be crying he like a lot more in a man. few years after he gets sentenced. At least he looked like an an adult male, as opposed to this kid who you know who when he, when he shows up, it's just like, so how's junior high going? Uh, Hugo, that's Bart's evil twin, Hugo. Hugo. Okay. It was bugging me, so I remembered because I have power over my mind. Okay, so if that's your central, if that's kind of your central, char- your you know, your central characterization, your central conflict, your central you know relationship, uh, Pat, did you enjoy? I mean, apart from the actor who again looks like a twelve-year-old, you know, did they did they get the relationship right? Did you like the interact? I mean, was that authentic to you, or was that just another oh, this guy? I don't think they did a great job of developing why these two were such good friends. Um, you know, and, and they could have very easily with the fact that Peter's parents worked with Harry's father at Harry's father's company, and, and they had known each other's voice. They, re- they referenced that they were you know, best friends at 12. If Peter's just graduating high school, it puts him in the 18-year-old range. 
you know, and I know he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he's got Gwen. He's made other friends in that time. You know, there's, I can tell you that I had friends who I lost touch with for a couple of years. And when we see each other again, it's a lot of fun, but it's not like we're still, you know, the bosom buddies we were when we were kids. And, you know, to automatically click like that feels forced to me. And maybe they had more in the script. I don't know that they had to chop down for time. Cause again, the movie ran close to two and a half hours, but they, I don't think they do a great job of flushing out how these guys were such great friends and why they automatically click again. And then they get into the whole central conflict, which is Harry sees Peter taking these pictures of Spider-Man all the time. And he figures out that Spider-Man's blood is the key to stopping his degenerative disease and puts Peter in a position to ask Spider-Man for his blood. And the only thing good I think that came out of that for me is that at least somebody was able to figure out that knows Peter, that he's Spider-Man. (laughs) <laughs> because it's, it's it's kind of one of the worst kept secret identities in all of superherodom, to the point oh. where Marvel even acknowledged it at one point and had him unmask, just to kind of stop you know insulting people a little bit. Well, I know he unmasked her in the Civil War line, which then led yeah. to one more day, so we can pretend it never happened. Yeah, but uh, you know, for someone who's supposed to be a best friend to him and and understand things, it's fairly obvious that he's Spider Man. So at least they got that part, you know, even if it's not canonical, it it made sense, and I'm glad they did it. All right, well, I mean, you know, Lois figured out who Superman was. Just through, it only took her like 60 years. Oh, good, no, I mean, like, for Man of Steel, good reporting work. And it you know, works fine for me. All right, Mark, I want to go over to you for just a second. I got I got a bone of contention. I talked with a couple of people I know who've seen this movie, and you liked the movie. We've, we're, on, we're all on record as having that position. How do they just gloss over one of the greatest comic villains of all time in the form of Norman Osborn is on screen and then not on screen? I mean, how do they just take the, you know, hit not only Spider-Man's greatest foe, but legitimately one of the biggest problems that has ever faced the Marvel Universe when you get into, you know, again, the source material, and essentially just not have him be part of the film. I mean, why? Why, oh, why wasn't Tom Bombadil in the Lord of the Rings? I'm not asking... A, hold on. Okay, hang on. Let me, I will briefly counter your argument. Tom Bombadil was an interesting side note for a couple of chapters because Tolkien... He's not the end-all, be-all bad guy. The, the, this okay, is the rough ahead. equivalent of saying, oh, why, why wasn't Sauron in Lord of the Rings? Come on, I work with like, me here. I'm I, not nitpicking. I felt like you could have done the movie without Sauron. Ultimately, he's just all <laughs> okay, you needed. Was, all you needed were I almost call them the dreadnoughts. Um, they're the dead dragon guys. The ring um, rates. Yeah, all you needed were the ring rates, and that's it. Okay, then why <laughs> why weren't the ring rates in Lord of the Rings? That, that's my point. I'm not nitpicking about a tertiary character who, if you have a degree of sense about writing, especially a Tolkien work, which is denser than anything Joseph Conrad could put together, and exponentially less interesting, I'm not talking about a tertiary character. I'm talking about a central villain who has shaped events throughout the character's history 
And throughout the history, I mean, I, I know the, I know these are Sony and they're not attached to the MCU, but Norman Osborn's a big deal. This is not Tom Bombadil. This is not some fun little ancillary character. This is a big deal. In the comic book. Uh, okay, but I, I will concede that point. So is, is that, I, is that your counter-argument Yes, black people. Um, next point. <laughs> no, um... No, I, I, I'll, I'll expand upon that a little bit further. A movie, again, movies are not comic books. Comic books are not movies. When you sit down and you're looking through source material, you're taking what you feel is the most interesting source, uh, most interesting bit of that source material, and saying we're going to make a movie out of these elements. So who cares that the original Green Goblin, Norman Osborn? isn't really in this movie. That's not the story they were telling. It's not the, you want to watch that story, watch the first Spider-Man. That's the story they told. In this one, this is a story about a kid, two kids who were abandoned by their fathers in many ways, and how one took the wrong path and one took the right path and, and how that affects them. That's the story they were trying to tell, in which case you don't need Norman Osborn other than to abandon his son. Okay, I'm not saying we need to make the whole movie about him. My only contention is, okay, he's gone now. I mean, you're now left with whiny Harry. <laughs> but I mean, I don't. But I don't get caught up in things like that, and I'm not going to uh, nail the movie to a cross because they didn't include my favorite character, or the, you know, or the, or the lead villain in Spider-Man's life. I, I, it's just one of those things where I don't feel like, you know, I. I go to a movie and I and I let it un, un, unroll before me, and I judge it based on its merits, not based on what I would have included, or not included. You know, okay. did this thing make did this thing make sense? Was it consistent in its own universe? Were the performances okay? Um, were you know was the direction were, uh, was the direction appropriate? That sort of thing. You know, was it a big CGI fest or did it look like you know or was I fooled into thinking these things were happening? These are things I'm looking at, not going, oh, fuck's sake, why didn't I have Venom? You know, I, I just, I can't let myself get caught up on that sort of thing. Well, Venom's coming next, and we all know it, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> I know Sinister Six is next, which is a whole other debate that we'll get into towards the end of this. But, Pat, since you're, uh, you're a big aficionado of comics, you read a lot of them, you know a lot... So, and given that I understand these movies are designed to appeal to a broader audience than those who read comics and debate the merits of artists and writers and what, which we all do, and we all enjoy. I'm just saying we're trying to appeal to the guy who sits on his couch and watches football and debates nickel versus dime defensive packages as well. So, again, people in general. So I'm just... First of all, from your perspective, that of, you know, a lover of comic books, did it bother you at all that we got Harry dropping Gwen Stacy instead of Norman? And to Mark's point, does it make sense within the story they're telling that we can just kind of gloss over Green Goblin? Gloss over Norman Osborn. Sorry, the, the character is still Green Goblin. You know, the villain identity. To an extent, it doesn't bother me that it was Harry who was the one who would... Be, technically, not just Harry, but Peter would do the executing of Gwen Stacy. But it does bother me that we lose out on Norman. Even if he's not the principal villain in this movie, 
he's such a big part of everything and has been such a great villain, particularly in recent years where they've really kind of cut loose with Norman and what he can do. And he's, he's so central to the Spider-Man character that I, I feel it's a huge loss to not have him. And I understand the narrative, and within the narrative they told it makes sense, but because something makes sense doesn't mean it's good. Um, you know, pre- tectonic plates press against each other, and it would make sense that the ground shakes and things are enveloped and buildings fall down, but that doesn't make it a good thing. And that's kind of where I stand on this. So this this is collateral damage. This is an earthquake. This this movie is the equivalent of a natural disaster. That's what it's almost yes. <laughs> I mean, what, okay, but I want to know. I want to now. I know in, the, in a debate, you're, you're not allowed to address your opponent directly because then John McCain would pee himself. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go right at Pat and say. That if you are not a comic book fan, if you know, if you are walking into the theater cold, and you know, and and you're sitting down to watch the flick of the day, which happens to be the Amazing Spider-Man Two, you are tabula rosa on the subject. Are you truly missing anything in this narrative by not having the Green Goblin, by not having Norman Osborn? Yes, and I'll tell no, you why. Not. Go ahead. Yes, and I'll tell you why. The character of Harry is a peer of Peter, and there's always a good conflict when there's peers to an extent if it's written well. When you have Norman, who's the father of Peter's best friend, and then becomes aware of the secret, and is batshit crazy, the element of danger is amplified because it goes from a peer level to a predatory level of kind of a... a, a a higher threat level to be sure. And when you have to deal with that and you amp up the danger and the suspense, I think you get a more thrilling and satisfying overall product as a result. Whereas you don't get that feeling of Harry is potentially overwhelming and more dangerous than Peter. Whereas Norman, who not only becomes a superpowered villain, but with his years of experience and dirty business dealings, his awareness of who Peter is, the things at his disposal that he can manipulate better than, you know, a teenage boy, I think you lose out on a much higher thrill experience from seeing Peter deal with that as opposed to, you know, his one-time best friend who's the same age level and is probably a little bit more of a buffoon than we want to give credit for because all of a sudden he's it's like walking into a, a playroom but instead of them being toy tanks and helicopters and such, they're real and this idiot's going to cause more trouble for himself, ultimately, than anybody else. Okay. Okay, hang on, hang on. Hold on, Mark. I want to ask the question because I, I'm going to take a minor issue in that I don't think you answered Mark's question there, in the sense that Mark asked, if you had, no, if you had never seen a Spider-Man movie or read a comic book, if, Norman Os- if you had no idea who or what Norman Osborn is going into this movie, would you have... You know, so essentially... Uh, this is kind of a cop but if you'd never known he was there in the first place, would you have missed him? If you're asking me to disassociate myself from my knowledge of the comics, you don't know what you're missing is the best way I can say it, but you are missing something. Okay, well, objectively, okay. maybe, but okay. Okay, that's I just wanted to... I think he did answer my question. I thought, I thought essentially his answer was, Spider-Man needs to be fighting an old man with lots of experience and power. That's, you know, and that gives Spider-Man a richer, 
um, hero to villain experience. And, well, he's oh, not necessarily so, old. Hold on, Peter's, hold on. Peter's Wait, 18. So that's why Dan Henderson is fighting uh, Dan Cormier? <laughs> oh, Jesus, we have like, 20 minutes left. Come on. Say that shit on your Sunday show. My goodness. Oh, I will. <laughs> um, actually, I, I want to say this really quick because I know there's we have 20 minutes left and you have more of an, an agenda, I'm sure. But I, I want to this last point, and then I'll, I'll let you move on. Fatigue in in movies is a real thing. It's why when they rebooted kind of sort of the Hulk, they didn't go back and tell, retell his origin story. Um, at at some point, when you've seen something on screen people don't want to keep seeing the same thing over and over again. And here's the thing. In the Sam Raimi trilogy, we got the Green Goblin. We not only got the Green Goblin in the first movie, but we in large part got him in the next two because he was always around in some way. Either he was, and I'm going to use the sort of meme term, goleming in the, in the second you know, and third movie with Harry, you know, or he was you know, the villain in the first one. And that's the thing, Pat. I, I feel like this movie has one disadvantage to it in that it, this whole series of movies has one disadvantage to it. And that is Sony had to make more Spider-Man movies, but they had to abandon the Sam Raimi trilogy for, you know, jazz dancing and all, uh, all kinds of other reasons. But at that point they had already used up the green goblin. I mean, 10, 20 years that they want to do the fourth reboot of Spider-Man and put the green goblin in there. I would dig it. But for right now, you're asking audiences who just, who not that long ago, saw the original Spider-Man movie of the Sam Raimi trilogy and got all the Green Goblin they could ask for. And got every, and that's why I agree with you. Yes, he does have a more richer experience dealing with Norman Osborn than, than Harry, but we've already seen it. I don't know how much better it's going to get done, number one. Number two... It's a lot to ask people to plunk down ten bucks for a ticket to watch the same thing they just saw a few years ago. I would rather now you could say, well, they, well, wouldn't the same thing be true of Harry? This Harry Osborn is markedly different than the one James Franco played. So for one thing, he's would, thirty years younger. Yeah, roughly. Um, he's barely a fetus. That's the big thing. Um, but. No, I mean, the whole way they're playing him, you know, he's like slightly demonic and, you know, and all this other stuff, whereas James Franco, you know, had amnesia and a skateboard. He's I mean, evil I Ed from Fright Night. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he looked more like a ghoulie, but we could spend the next 20 minutes straight trying to figure out what horror monster he is. In any case, um, I would tell you that the, the, going the route of, the green, of Norman Osborn would have been a retread too soon after the Sam Raimi trilogy. All right, that's a fair point. And you're right, audience fatigue is a real thing. I mean, eventually it'll kick in like, ugh, I'm watching essentially the same thing I've seen before. All right, uh, I got a couple of more points, and then we can go ahead and kind of start wrapping up. Um, Pat, I want to go back to you for just a second. You know, you, you were the one who pointed out to me when I was talking about Spider-Man villains that Electro uh, enjoys the company of men. So, in the same vein, how did you enjoy, you know, Jamie Foxx playing Emperor Palpatine? I probably would have had a better time in the company of men. <laughs> oh, Dalton! Sorry. Homer, look at me. He is a hoe, yes. Mo, mm-hmm, still with you. Sexual. Ah! 
Oh and I probably would have had a better time at the Blue Oyster Bar than I, I would have watching Jamie Foxx play this part. Partially because I, I think, you know, I, 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 this is a terribly written part, and they really kind of went out of their way to make it goofier than probably they even intended to the point where he becomes a 60s Batman villain. Um, from uh, probably the pinnacle of goofiness when Harry Osborn, spoiler alert, goes to break him out of his holding facility at Ravencroft, and they have him in a rubberized suit with lightning bolts on it. I understand that Electro's comic book costume is beyond ridiculous and would never translate to a movie. That's the best you could do? To, to, why, where were the nipples for the suit? That's all that was missing. And then, okay. you know, the, the, the relationship from the character of Electro, Max Dillon, to Spider-Man, where we get a scene where Spidey, you know, saves this meek and, and powerless Max Dillon who's unappreciated and doesn't have any friends and gets bullied at work. He has one bad exchange with Spider-Man, and then all of a sudden, yeah, I'm going to, to kill him based on the recommendation of this guy. And it's Spider-Man's fault. That's even screwy for a comic book, let alone a movie based around a comic book. I completely and, agree and, with everything you just and said. And they gave away they gave away how you're going to beat him very very early into the movie. If you paid attention at all. When Spider-Man's trying to figure out how to fix his web shooters and they talk about how a battery current can only take so much voltage as long as it puts out the same amount. Well, right there they tell you that since Electro is a living battery, they're going to supercharge him until he explodes. Well, a degree of foreshadowing is not a, not the worst thing in the world, and I get where you're coming there's from. There's foreshadowing, but... and there's telling you this is how he's going to be beaten in the movie if you're paying attention. <laughs> if you're paying okay. attention. Okay, oh, Mark, you, you know, said between you the crying out. <laughs> <laughs> if you could, if you could unplug your ears and unroll your eyes from weepy Edward Cullen metrosexual Spider-Man, then you paid attention. Okay. No, no, I, I'm, that's his point. I, again, I have no opinion on the subject apart from the fact that I hate Jamie Foxx. <laughs> you are an unfair moderator, sir. I feel game <laughs> on. I have no opinion apart from the fact that I hate Jamie Foxx. And even I have for that, no opinion I'll, except that Spider-Man is gay. I have not. I didn't say. I was summarizing Pat's point. I don't. Again, I don't have an opinion. I don't di- agree or disagree with his perspective of. Of how he views people, you have a very positive view of him. And when I summed up your point, I, you, you know, I think I said that you believe this was a very accurate translation of Peter, and you thought it was the most humanizing element of him. And that's your perspective. I don't care. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Can we talk about Electro so, now? <laughs> yes, you just said you disagreed with everything Pat said about Electro. Absolutely. Number one, the two lightning bolts on his chest. You know, look, you have to, you, you got to look at. You know, tankers that carry hazardous material, they always have to have a sign on them. He obviously was an element that they had to put a sign, you know, a hazard sign on, and they, they went with two lightning bolts. Perfectly plausible. Moving on. Um, I also feel like, look, I actually thought the, you know, here's this guy who with poor ego integrity, you know, who feels like he's invisible in the world. He, obviously, he has mental health issues, and this is my expertise. He clearly has mental health issues, and when he felt like he was betrayed by Spider-Man, and he was, uh, and he went through this traumatic experience of being bitten by electric eels and then becoming a living battery, <clears throat> um, you know, it would obviously weigh heavy on his psyche, 
and, you know, and might cause it to crack, crackle, if you were. So uh, I feel like it would be absolutely plausible in this universe where you have somebody with mental health issues who already had poor ego integrity to feel like Spider-Man had betrayed him and therefore has to die. This feels like a average day at work for me. You know, I get along perfectly well with an inmate, and then suddenly I don't do what they want me to do, and that's it, they're killing my whole family. It's true. It's true. So to me, Electro was written as a very real character. Um, you know, aside from that, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't think he was the main, he was the main, um, like, like, boss villain. You know, he was the main physical threat to Spider-Man. But I, I don't feel like his plot line was the main one. I think that his relationship, the, as I said before, the, the most focus of the movie for me was him and Harry, and that Electro was there as sort of the, you know, a, 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 the Bane character. You know, he's there to put the hurt on Spider-Man, um, but the real guy pulling the strings is Harry. And I thought because of that, they wrote him just fine. And I had no problems with um, Jamie Foxx's Electro this version of Electro. All right. Apart from the fact that it's Jamie Foxx, right? Because I don't Jamie understand Fox the hate towards Jamie Foxx. <laughs> no! I Mark, you just invalidated anything you said by saying you don't hate Jamie Foxx. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just was great in Ray. I thought he was great in Ray, and there's other things I've seen him in where he was just fine. I mean, it's not like we're talking about a Wayans brother here. Speaking yeah, of Wayne's brother, close. I think Jamie Foxx's best and only tolerable work was on his five seasons of In Living Color. No, that's not true. He's done plenty of good work since In Living Color. Oh, yeah, no, he really knocked me out in stealth. His In Living Color was awful, too. Do I need to pull up Jamie Foxx's thing and tell you how wonderful he has been throughout his movie career? If you want to try, right remember when you tried to explain to me... People have tried to explain to me that Ryan Reynolds or James Franco was charming and... You saw various <laughs> films, and I spent 20 minutes shooting them down. Okay, he was awesome in Django Unchained. Haven't seen him. No, nothing Django. about Django Unchained was awesome. Django right, Unchained be- was the greatest movie ever. Okay, stop. First of all, I haven't seen it, so I have no. So he's not entertained me in that movie. I actually do need to see that one. I've been meaning to. He seems to have been fine in Rio. Are we counting voice work? No. No. Uh, voice work doesn't count. Because if voice work counts, fine. I have to like Patrick Warburton. He was fine in Jarhead. Uh, no, that movie sucks. No. <laughs> uh, he was absolutely outstanding in Ray. Eh. He was fine in Any Given Sunday. I haven't seen it. That doesn't require a lot of range, though. Didn't Cuba uh, Gooding just... Jr. play essentially the same character that Jamie Foxx did in a, just in a different movie? No, no. One was, one was interested in, in having people show him money, and the other one wasn't. They're both football players. The range is so, not great. So you're saying so yes, all I'm comparing Jamie Foxx to Cuba Gooding Jr., and I still say they're both terrible. And one, got an, one got an Oscar before the other. And neither one yeah. deserved it. All right, we're moving on. Because, again, I'll just shoot down his entire filmography because I hate comedy. That's just kind of my stance in life. But, again, we're not trying to convince me of anything here. I'm just here to kind of stand between these two. So, just to kind of wrap this up, because you know, we are running a little low on time. We're probably going to go over just a tad. After this movie, the next thing they're going to do, they're going to do a Sinister Six movie. Wait, hang on. Robert, feel okay. free to go over a little bit, because I just got word from Gavin that we may be starting late with uh, the next podcast. So, if we go over, that's fine. 
Okay. The last thing I want to bring up is, with regards to the planned sequel, which introduces the Sinister Six, which will then lead into, apparently the loose plan is another Venom movie, because they did so well the last time they introduced Venom on screen. Thank you, studio executives. I blame the executives, not Sam Raimi. That's some things about that movie I blame Iris squarely on Sam Raimi. Some things, you know, meddling studio executives, stay away from movies. You're there to provide money. Much like much like the last two Batman movies of the uh, of the Tim Burton four, the studio executives ruined the Sam Raimi trilogy. That's yeah, and Chris Nolan did it to his own trilogy. Oh goodness gracious! Oh come on! I enjoy Batman: The Dark Knight Rises. All right, all right, Robert, Robert, take take the reins, get control of this thing. It's not perfect, but again, I enjoyed it. All right, so my point. We're leading into a Sinister Six movie. So, Mark, are you excited about the direction this is taking? Are you interested in it? Is this something you're going to happily spend your own money to see? Sure. Um, I mentioned uh, I like the ending of the, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 with, with the tease there with Rhino and all of that, and then the, them showing Vulture's wings and Doc Ock's arms and all that. I don't know if they showed anything else. I, if they did, I missed it. Um, but... I'm interested in, look, I'm enjoying this series of movies. I know everyone hated the first American, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, it was sort of a yawner. Um, but I will tell you that I think that, again, was the subject of too close to, the, you know, the Sam Raimi trilogy and people were just, you know, not ready for another Spider-Man movie. Um, so that got lost in the shuffle. But I will tell you that I've really enjoyed the Amazing Spider-Man uh, movies and I look forward to more of them. I think... Sony really has a handle on what makes what makes these movies good and what people who are not um, you know like hardcore comic book fans you know this, their general audience they, what they want to see and I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has really changed the way comic book movies are handled you know and now Sony is looking to create their own connected cinematic universe and I'm engaged and excited to see what they're going to bring us and I'm looking forward to a Venom film because. I don't think they're going to do Eddie Brock. I think they're going to end up doing Flash Thompson. It's the only way to it's the only way to make that character a hero in any way, shape, or form. Okay, Pat, Sinister Six. Are you uh, optimistic? My immediate answer is that things can only get better from this. But then I realized part of my problem with this is that they mishmash too many things together going on at once. And with six villains in the same movie, even though one will clearly be taking the lead in Dr. Octopus, it just seems like they're going to do that to an amplified level and not give you a reason to care about any of these villains with the exception of Otto Octavius. And I feel like this is just uh, taking on way too much for people who aren't good enough at what they do to execute properly. Okay, here's the, here's the truly relevant question. Will you be paying to see it? No. Okay. All right. I'll be there opening night, as usual. All right. Good for you. <laughs> uh, you won't be alone. I have no doubt you will be one of many people in line. I can't wait till my kids are old enough, and I can start dragging them to these things who've never read the comic books and will truly enjoy the, the story being told to them without, you know, worrying about all that, you know, canon and stuff. <laughs> I The only thing I'm going to say to that is The Phantom Menace, sir. <laughs> Children love it. I'm going to say that when I was four and I could read and I did read comics, I still liked Superman 4. 
shame. You poor, poor, <laughs> dumb person. You poor bastard. Children are not the most discriminating of audiences. I also used to rent the 1991 low-budget Captain America movie. I, I oh, believe that yes. He just future. wanted more time with the shield. Teach them well and let them lead the way to films and uh, movies and uh, television shows. All right. So we're going to kind of uh, close up. We're going to do a briefly final summation as far as this goes. So, Mark, your final points. To anyone out there who has not seen the movie, if you had, you know, two minutes to sell them on, go see this movie. What would you say? I don't, I don't want to go first. Oh, I'll go first. Pat. Thank you. Okay, okay. Okay, Pat. Someone who has not yet seen this movie and is vacillating, you have two minutes to dissuade them because that's your position. Go. Spider-Man cries for 50 minutes and grows a vagina before your very eyes. No, you can have your two minutes, sir. I go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> grows a vagina. Like Roman Reigns. That's right on his eyebrow. Um, no, I go back to what I said. If you are looking for the fun, happy-go-lucky, flippant, sarcastic Spider-Man who also has to deal with the tragedy of his first girlfriend being chucked off a bridge, you know, and having to protect the ones he loves from crazy people throwing bombs at him. This is the movie for you. Finally, a movie studio has, has hit all the right uh, keys in what makes the story of Spider-Man compelling for, you know, to readers for decades now. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I think that, um, you know, Electro looked great on screen, and I thought that Jamie Foxx did an excellent job of portraying a crazy person, you know, with uh, obsessive tendencies and a broken uh, ego, you know, trying to kill Spider-Man. I thought that Harry, you know, carried his arc well. Uh, I think uh, people may feel like the plot is just a smidge top-heavy, but I feel like, you know, uh, if you sit back and, and, you, and you really watch this thing a few times, you're going to find that it's not top-heavy so much as it is a layered, thick, enjoyable plot line, much like a steak. And that I took more than two minutes. I'm using some <laughs> of yours. I'll allow it. So I, have a, so I have a question for both of you guys. Are either All of right. you seeing X-Men this weekend? Yes, but only because the, the female who I am currently courting wants to see it. Probably Robert? not. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't have a follow-up movies. question there. Okay, I love movies. I just don't generally get around to seeing them, especially opening week. It's just, it winds up being too crowded. I will probably be seeing this one at some point, but... And well, I hate dirty, stinking muties. Yes, yes, well, we all you know, know you're racism. <laughs> Against Jamie Foxx. Um, no, I, the reason why I was asking was... He's not a was, race, he's a person. <laughs> I don't care much well, for foxes know, either, but that's a whole other story. Do you care much? I'd hate him if he was white, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I do not like Jamie Foxx in the box. I do not like Jamie Foxx in it. Never mind. Um, No, not at all. My my question, the reason I was asking is, you know, last year um, I I saw, you know, I I love going to the movies. I especially enjoy the summer blockbuster season. Um, I'm one of those people who, you know, the bigger the crowd, the more I enjoy it. Like I saw Godzilla uh, Monday, and I was like one of five people in the theater. I'm like, oh, this sucks. Um, but 
I, I love the, the opening night experience or the, or the midnight movie experience um, and, you know, to be there with the hardcore fans, but that's not important right now. What was important was last year uh, Jeff and I did the summer blockbuster series, and, we, and I asked him to be a part of it initially because, you know, he's a movie reviewer and he goes to see these things well before they even, you know, go live to the general public. So I thought he'd be a good person to do movie reviews with. Um, I've, I've been, I enjoyed this, and I've been just sort of missing that experience. Um, so I was wondering if, if you guys were going to go see X-Men, if we wanted to do this again once we've all seen the movie. I'd be okay with that. I would absolutely be okay with that. However, my hatred for first class is inevitably going to spill over into this. It's, it's, a, it's a partial Why continuation. You... Hold on a second. You're the you. You might be one of like three people I know who hates that movie. I could easily uh, do another podcast just about my problems with that movie. I mean, okay, okay, okay look, if, if your if your problems are going to be continuity within the within the X Men universe, not not even the biggest problem. Apple, not even the biggest problem at all. All right. If you're going, okay. Here's the thing. It's a prequel, and real quick, I'll do a real quick summation here because I know we're running short. Okay, it's a prequel, so you're so you can use it for that. It's a prequel, so you understand that there. You kind of already know the conflict, so you have to create an original conflict that's going to keep people interested and you know get them guessing. Why would you base it around the Cuban Missile Crisis when everyone knows how that turned out in both reality and obviously in the X Men films? Because we're not communists. The whole communist regime is dead. So basing it around that is very silly because the, the end result is never in doubt. So right away you have no suspense from that whatsoever. Well, maybe they were going to go in a different direction. Maybe in this But they were not they... going to have the Cuban Missile Crisis end differently. That's a fair point, Pat. And I, it's one that I've brought up. It didn't bother me with that movie. It has bothered me with others. So various well, points. One, I, All right. I don't think... I don't. Okay, you know what? We'll save this for for another discussion. But um, hey, well, when we discuss I, I, Days of Future Past, we can hash this one out too. Yeah, well, we'll Kevin Bacon was the high point of a movie. Take that for what it's worth. No, January yeah. Jones is tipped the high point of that movie. Thank you very much. Oh, shut up, both of you! Michael Fassbender not being able to suppress his Irish accent once he puts on Magneto's helmet was the high point. <laughs> no, I, I would. I would once again tell you it's greater than all, but whatever. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I have yes. seen Mad Men. January Jones grates on me like nails on a chalkboard. I, whoever asked her to talk? She's just supposed to walk that, around in a bra. If she was just there and not speaking, or with a bag over her head, I'd be fine and dandy. Remove those what? two components. Bag over her head. Are we talking about the same January Jones? Yeah, the lack where all the noise comes from. Her inability <laughs> to emote with her face is my, the crux of my argument there. All right. God, you have too, way too high a standards. I just need her to walk on screen, you know, semi-topless. Well, you know, you're, uh, I got that. You know what? Yes, my standards <laughs> are higher than yours. I will concede Absolutely. that point, sir. <laughs> all right. Take me home, Robert. All right, uh, to everyone listening live, you've got like 20 seconds. We're just going to do our uh, plugs relatively quickly and then get out of here. Uh, Pat, what do you got in the championship rounds? Uh, I should be recording with the one and only Gavin Napier this coming uh, Friday. We should have a show lined up talking all the fallout from last weekend's fights 
In addition to previewing some of the upcoming super fights, particularly the middleweight title clash at Madison Square Garden for the one true lineal middleweight championship currently held by Sergio Martinez of Argentina as he defends against Miguel Cotto, the three-division world champion from Puerto Rico, looking to make history and be the first-ever Puerto Rican fighter to win championships in four weight divisions. All right. I'll be impressed when he does it in five, because it's boxing, and you have a weight class every five pounds. But that's just me. No, I'm... Are you, um, you going to go live, Pat? Are you going to head up to the... Uh, are, you, are you going to Madison Square Garden and see the fight? Uh, for what they are charging, absolutely not. <laughs> sure. Plus, who wants to leave New Jersey to go into New York? I've seen oh, the Yel Cotto fight at Madison Square Garden also, and considering that the audience is about 80% Puerto Rican when he fights there, and if this thing goes to the cards and he doesn't win, I'm not really liking what the potential of a result could be, considering it's also the weekend of the Puerto Rican Day Parade. Because <laughs> in situations like that, there's a movie title called Get the Gringo, that's kind of what it'll probably play out as. And, and a real quick aside, the Cotto fight I went to at Madison Square Garden was a fight with Joshua Claudia. You may have seen it, may not. That was a razor-thin, extremely close fight that I was actually covering for 411. I was supposed to cover their, for their post-fight press conference when there was still a boxing section run by a bunch of inbreds who know nothing about the sport. When, it got to, when I was scoring this fight, and I had Cotto by one point, but it was very easily justifiable that you could have Claudia winning that fight, I looked around and saw that I was the only guy who didn't have a tan. And I said, I'm probably going to go because this could wind up being very bad. And I bolted from the arena prior to the decision even being read and actually got home in time to watch uh, the first Rich Franklin Vanderlei Silva fight. Well, eh, you would have been better be, off in the riot. I think you'll be safe if you go to Madison Square Garden wearing a mustache, a sombrero, and carrying maracas, and you're wearing a poncho. You'll be fine. That only would actually be quite offensive because not only is that closer to the Argentine people and what they do, but As Puerto Ricans Puerto tend Rican. to hate Mexicans. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, are they not all the same? Puerto Ricans? Uh, no, you're thinking of Dominicans. <laughs> ah. That's pretty close. But no, Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, there's a lot of uh, animosity there. What yeah, it's like Catmullen and Tony. What does the R in R-I-B stand for? Racism! Go on. <laughs> hey, I'm the one who said last... Uh, just last night, I mentioned that Shia LaBeouf oozes Jew. <laughs> Good job, Jed. No, I said that. Come on. I take my own... I take credit for what I say, and I also said that Tyrese oozes inner-city black guy, and Lucas Black oozes inbred hick from Alabama. I and the winner of our, Alec, our, of our Alec Baldwin Memorial political correctness commentary <laughs> goes to. <laughs> remember, Look, when Winfrey I, was, remember when Winfrey was like quiet, you know, and just kind of colored in the lines. Remember those days, Pat, where, you know, Winfrey just sort of looked at me and was, was like, oh, loud guy. Okay, whatever, weirdo. This is, yeah, this is, a, this is a PSA as to what happens when you podcast with two idiots from New York. <laughs> Let me just say this. I hate everyone equally. That's my stance. And you can I'm, look I'm at that. Enjoying, I'm enjoying this. I feel like I'm the penny to your Leonard. I've brought you out of your shell. This whole Rattledge and Broadcasting experience has shown us the real Winfrey, the flesh and blood Winfrey, you know, making racist comments and, and, and all of that. I'm enjoying this. But you have and, to remember, it's a, uh, far cry, 
it, it's a far cry from the guy who I used to refer to as Eeyore and Sam the Eagle. You've Bray Wyatted his John Cena? That's right. <laughs> I hey, I'm more interesting than John Cena. I will not be nearly that. as manic as John Cena will from uh, moment to moment. This is true. I know, again, my point is I hate everyone equally. And if you hate everyone equally, you don't hate anyone more than anyone else. So, therefore, there is no discrimination. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I just sit back. I'm just sitting back and watching, you know, this brand new Robert Winfrey that's come out over the past year. And, you know, and, I, and I'm enjoying it. All right. Uh Mark, I know you've got the casual heroes and wrestling stuff coming up, uh, but apart from that, have you has your son peed on you yet? That's what I'm wanting to know. I've got the countdown clock. I'm no, because I because I treat my son like a bomb, okay? <laughs> and uh, I whenever I'm whenever I'm changing my son, I can hear the you put him underwater. <laughs> yes. Why? Um, no, I. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hear the Mission Impossible music play, right? You know, and I've got my timing down where I can take the diaper off. First of all, have you ever like dealt with a with an infant who's feeding on solely breast milk? They poop hot mustard, hot yep. hot golden mustard, and yep. it's gross. Yeah, okay. So you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. So I take the mustardy diaper away. You know, I throw on I, I throw the wipe on top of the penis, right? I clean them all up. I put the diaper back on. I remove the thing. No pee on mock. And and it's like, you know. And again, it's, it's I cut the red wire, the blue wire, the black wire, and I'm done. You know, and, and, and no pee anywhere. I got this shit down to a science. Good for you. Father right. of the year. Darn right. All right. So, do you have any uh, scheduled podcasts coming up? Anything you plan on uh, being a part of, or are you still kind well, of flying? Loose and free. Well, we're going to do X Men Days of Future Past once we've all seen it, and hopefully we can get our schedules together. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it tomorrow. So am I. Uh, oh, you're saying I'm seeing it Friday with my wife. You know, that's our date night. Yeah, um, I'm doing a midnight show. I wish I could do a midnight show. I got to do uh, Captain America uh, early, and um, what was the other one? Oh, I saw oh, Spider Man. I saw Thursday night, but uh, this one I had to wait till Friday because my wife wanted to see it. My last midnight experience was miserable. I went to the Avengers mid, uh, at a midnight showing. Here's yeah, that was rough. No, no, no. I loved the movie. I enjoyed the experience with as far as the movie went. My problem was I was surrounded by people who laughed at every line, which then meant I couldn't hear the next line. And it bugged me to death. I remember when the first uh, Ang Lee Hulk came out and someone got into a fight in the theater. I suspect that was because the movie was really bad. In any case, um, you know, Jennifer Connelly on screen for that amount of time is just bound to rub somebody the wrong way. I think that movie killed. I think that movie killed Eric Banner's career. Has anyone heard from him since? The time traveler's wife is all I know of. And that would be a nail in the coffin. Indeed. All right. Um, Let me just. I, I posted the schedule not that long ago, but I'll go over it really fast. Um, June first. Uh, the Casual Heroes and I will be doing a live uh, WrestleCast after Payback. So as soon as the pay-per-view is over, um, we'll be live on the Rattlet and Broadcasting Network to bring you the results of Payback and our post-pay-per-view. Did anyone from the Casual Heroes pick CM Punk to make a surprise appearance at Payback in Chicago? 
Uh, I'll let you know after tonight's podcast, which we are recording will be hopefully available either Thursday or Friday of this week. We'll be All talking right. about the financial collapse of the WWE. Um, obviously, that's what happens when your, ho- your champion is a hobbit. Oh, goodness it's Christ. nothing to do with <laughs> Daniel Bryan, and you know that. Can we get on with this? Uh, Long Road to Ruin, uh, June 3rd and June 17th, still helmed by the uh, glorious Robert Winfrey and yep. co-hosted by the one and only Sean Comer. They'll be doing A Nightmare on Elm Street in two parts. That's June 3rd, the day after my birthday. <clears throat> and June 17th. Sing happy birthday to you. There we go. Um, June 24th, I make my illustrious return to the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network full-time uh, with the Metal Hammer of Doom, and we will be uh, covering the latest album, Steel Panther, from Steel Panther. Um where, much like my, com- my comments about January Jones, there's a song was, You Were Beautiful Until You Started Talking, or something along those lines. It's just awesome. Um, I'm, back in the, I'm back on the long road to ruin July 1st, and we will be tackling the Michael Bay Transformers trilogy uh, right, af- <laughs> right after um, the latest Transformers Age of Extinction will have come out, which I will be seeing hopefully that weekend if my wife lets me go out. Optimus Prime um, is going to ride Grimlock. I'm in. I'm all in. It looks fantastic. I still say the only good Transformers movie is the animated movie where Orson Welles was involved. Orson Welles and Leonard Nimoy. No, no. So far, I tend to agree with you, but I have hope that you know that now they've gotten rid of Shia LaBeouf and his stupid parents, this one will be good. They replaced him with Mark Wahlberg. That is a lateral movement, sir. Wait, what? Mark Wahlberg is in this? This Yeah, not a lateral movement. Mark Wahlberg is lateral from Shia LaBeouf. No, he is not, sir. Mark Wahlberg is a, is a great 100% improvement over Shia LaBeouf. It depends and on I how much su- body mass he has. I submit to you the last Indiana Jones movie as proof. I submit to you. you can't pin that one all on Shia. That's, yes, yeah, he, that's yes, hardly... No, he's a problem. He's not the only problem. He is the kryptonite to that movie, Superman. He's a little bit more that's, offensive short round. <laughs> um, now, July 8th, that's when the whole world changes. Um, everything's switching that week. Uh, July 8th is the premiere, the return of the Casual Heroes uh, w- presentation of the Whiskey Rebellion. And that'll be weekly at 9 o'clock. It'll be myself, Gavin, Chris Evans, and anybody else that wants to call in. We'll be talking about a variety of topics, the news of the day, uh, anything going on in the world of sports, whatever it is we want to talk about, um, that'll be the, the Whiskey Rebellion. Metal Hammer of Doom moves to July 10th. That'll be Thursday. And we will be starting off our new day in time with uh, Body Count Manslaughter because Body Count is, in fact, in the house. And I then on July 6th. <laughs> and July, you, you talk to Robert. I'm sure he'll do, would love to do a sticks retrospective with you. Um, and July 17th... Oh, it really is our, hell. <laughs> July 17th, uh, Long Road to Ruin starts uh, something new and interesting we're going to be doing on the show, our four-part uh, look at Batman the Animated Series. We'll be, looking, we'll be doing Volume 1 on July 17th. So... Are you just trying to reduce Robert Cooper to a squealing puddle of fanboy? Well, maybe he needs to quit his job. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> Can you please <laughs> reference Kyodai Ken? I will try. Um, last thing I want to go ahead and plug, if you hadn't had an opportunity yet, boy, are you missing out. My wife and I, who was, uh, my wife and I 
did a In Defense of podcast. This time we centered on the Big Bang Theory. Uh, it was great. I thought we did a, uh, an excellent job with that. Seems to have been well received by everyone except Sean Comer, who I'm so lucky is talking to me. So um, give that a give that a listen and uh, tell us what you think. I thought my wife did a great job. That was her yearly appearance on the Rattlehead Broadcasting Network. You know, she yeah, said she told, told me don't bother her again for a year. But um, that's our feature. That's our Rattlehead and Broadcasting featured podcast right now. Holy shit! Molly Ringwald joins joins Gem in the Holograms. Have you heard along with Juliet Lewis? Yeah. What's going on here? They got a Gem in the Holograms movie starring Molly Ringwald. Yeah, this. You know what a hot property that would have been in 1986? Would have been better in 85. <laughs> no, better well, yet, everything... 84, so that it could have happened before I was born. Well, that I would have never uh... had. Um, I think that's it for now. But uh, I appreciate Robert stepping into the breach here between Pat and I as we. Uh, Yell, bud, bud, uh, you know, taste great, less filling about this movie. And I'm looking forward to doing it again with X-Men. And if I can't play Eddie Brock in a Spider-Man film, please allow me to play Rio in the Gem and the Holograms film. <laughs> I support this. Yeah, uh, go ahead. By all means. We need, we need Pat Mullen on screen at some point. I'll have I to see we need you Aquaman. Face a little, but, you know. I see we need Aquaman. Aquaman. No, no, no. You know they're making Namor the Submariner, right? Allegedly, yes. I don't know if that's been if that's been. Um... That's what that's who Pat should be. I disagree. I'm going to hand that one off to the Rock. Uh, we can't give really him name on the Submariner. I think the Rock would be perfect. A black sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much more than half breed. Uh, all right. As for my plugs, I host the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. It's live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We t- uh, myself, Pat Mullen, Jeff Harris, we talk the wide, wacky world of MMA. This week, we are at the very least reviewing UFC 173, uh, Henan Burrell and TJ Dillashaw. Hooray. Murder uh, on pay-per-view, folks. No, that's the co-main <laughs> event where uh, Dan Henderson is fighting Daniel Cormier. It's not Live execution. So it's not murder so much as it is elder abuse. And uh, your featured bout of the evening is Robbie Lawler and Jake Ellenberger. Speaking of UFC 173, if you don't want to pay 60 bucks to watch Henan Barrow, first of all, shame on you, because Barrow is awesome. His dancing skills alone are worth the $60, people. But if you don't want to pay the money, I'll have your live coverage at 411mania.com. So stop by there. There might be a clucky. There might be a cornet face. I'm debuting my new uh, kind of gimmick for when I cover things live. I am the uh, voodoo curse of MMA cards, because if I'm providing live coverage, they suck. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. I know, right? (laughs) We've had one really good card in the last, like, six months, and Larry Zonka covered it for 411 Mania. Okay, I got your meme for you. And you have to, and, and, and it's inexhaustible. Just pick a different, like I did, Clucky, I pick a different chicken picture every single time I used it. From now on, Robert, this is what you're going to do. Listen to, listen, to your, listen to Pappy Rattledge, listen to Old Man Rattledge, because he knows he's old and wise. Here's what you're going to do. Every time a match is boring, every time you feel like you have hexed um, a, a, a match in a, in a card, picture of Papa Shango. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
I'll do Abishango that. or Lance Storm? Eh. I can't say Lance Storm because I've seen a couple. I mean, I know that he had the boring gimmick where his gimmick was he's boring. But I've been entertained by a couple of his matches. I can't say the same for Papa Shango in any of his various incarnations. I'm telling you, man. You, you said voodoo curse. You run, run with the voodoo thing. Uh, Who are you right, to, to doubt Kama, the supreme fighting machine? <laughs> that was a different gimmick. Doesn't matter. He still failed to entertain. Fair enough. All right, I will do. Or uh, I'll find something like that. Um, I'll, I'll, or also calling myself Baron Mordor. Or Mor- <laughs> Mordor. Mordo. Mordo, yes. There, I added an extra R there. But one of those things. So I have live coverage for UFC 173. Uh, this Friday, Locked in the Guillotine, my weekly column in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com goes live. And in honor of Hendenborough fighting and more than likely drawing less than 220,000 buys on pay-per-view, the poor guy, I'm going to be talking about what I feel is an important aspect for any champion in MMA, and I, by extension, boxing, the need to have a truly great fight on your resume. And I'll examine why that's important. I have historical references, I have conjecture, I have some hypoth, I have pictures, it'll be awesome. So, stop by, read that, and then uh, again on Sunday we'll be... Uh, reviewing all of the live action. We might even throw a few more insults the way of Bellator for because Tito Ortiz and Rampage, LOL. I kept waiting for I, I went to the site on Monday to see if people commented on that. I was expecting people to like, rattle it, we were happy with you gone. Seriously, shut the fuck up. All you did was complain. <laughs> Some, I, I, I am Pat Mullen of, of, of I was going to say, I am the Pat Mullen of MMA. Apparently I hate everything. Ooh, what I said. It's not inaccurate. Hey, I did a whole I did a whole um, stick for like four weeks when I was writing a, a, where I just hated everything. I had a picture of the emperor, had the caption "hate everything," and then I picked one thing about the world of MMA that I hated, and I ranted on it. Like four and weeks, I hated the commentary, the matchmaking, some of the fights. It was, was that well received? Was that well received? I mean, it was. I was going to say, did you get, like, negative comments about it? Did you get any comments uh, about it? A few. I mean, th- this was a while ago. Yeah, because I mean, could... all the psychopaths out there. <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? All right, and uh, my Stupid weekly podcast. Stupid morons in their happiness. <laughs> Why don't they come to the dark side and just be bitter and angry about everything? We're so much more enlightened. Our lives are so much more fulfilling because, God, everything sucks. <laughs> I like this Robert Winfrey. He's fun. <laughs> I'm so All sorry right. we did this to you, Robert. Eh, I'm you not. didn't do anything. It just took a while to bring it up. This, believe me, this is me. I was just getting comfortable within my own skin and what I was doing. So thank you, everyone, for tolerating that. Um, my weekly podcast, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, is starting wrapping up coverage of comic villains uh, this Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the last major player that I have yet to hit, Captain America. Uh, his movie is still in theaters, so I'm still uh, trendy, right? Eh? I'm on top of things. No, so Captain America and his uh, rogues gallery of evil Germans, since we're playing to stereotypes, will be covered. Uh, I don't have a guest, anyone out there who's interested. If you have the time and the inclination, let me know. See what we can work okay. out. So I have two questions for you. One, 
do you think that a everyone loves a bad guy on Family Guy would be appropriate, considering that while Peter is the protagonist of the show, he's also a terrible human being? Everyone on or associated with that show needs to be dipped in boiling tar. Amen. Does that mean you will or will not do a show on it? Because if you do a show on it, I'm in. There's a good chance I will. I'm not sure what I'm going to do once I wrap up comics, so there's a chance I might go with that. Sorry, <laughs> Joe uh, Bob. I love Well, that was my next question. You've you, you got to do a couple of different Simpsons characters. Oh, yeah. One big one dedicated to the Simpsons. That was going to be my next question, which was, when are you doing Mr. Burns? And, hey, you have um, dibs you need on make... Burns, I know. Yeah, I was gonna, well, I, I'm calling dibs on any of the Simpsons shows. All right. Um, in the near future, I, I have Captain America this week, and the week after that uh, is going to be kind of a big call-in free-for-all, specifically focusing on some of the independent titles, of, you know, and I know these are all owned by other companies, but Vertigo, Image, Dark Horse. I imagine a fair number of time is going to be devoted to The Walking Dead and Preacher, one of which is a show on AMC and the other of which will be a show on AMC in the near future. Allegedly. I've heard that rumor for 10 years. I still don't buy it. If it wasn't AMC, I wouldn't have given it any credence, but AMC is, uh, you know, they've kind of proven that, okay, we'll, we'll do crazy stuff like this. So, that's, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Very, very cautiously, but. So that's the next couple of weeks for Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. And that's everything I have to plug. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. We uh, hope you've enjoyed our discussion, our little debate about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Hopefully you uh, had your perspective validated, maybe challenged, and uh, you learned something. One can only hope. All right. So for the one man, uh, the one man mitzvah, Mr. Mark Radulich, and for Pat, everyone sucks but me, Mullen, I'm Robert Winfrey, and I'm stealing Mark's outro. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>